0: I was watching TV the other day, and this show comes on with these religious fanatics. They were crazy. Well, you would think they were crazy if you didn't understand their culture and their religion. See, that's just the thing. They were worshipers of idols, and they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted. They danced. They they made sacrifices to their idols. They had built these enormous temples to worship their idols in. It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. You don't really relate, do you? Let's try it again. I was watching TV the other day, and this show comes on with these religious fanatics. They were crazy. See, that's just the thing. They were worshippers of idols, and they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies, they wore these ridiculous costumes, they chanted, they danced, they they made sacrifices to their idols. They had built these enormous temples to worship their idols in. It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. Idol worship. It's not just about golden calves anymore.
1: We're going to talk about a topic today. Like I said, a lot of times when we talk about idols and false gods and the things that we put at the center of our life, I think a lot of times when we look at the people around us, we can see maybe the idols in their lives, but it's sometimes hard to look at our own lives and really identify uh, what are the things in our life that might be coming between us and God. And so I want to kind of start off with a big idea this morning. Uh, which is this, that when, when we think about God, I would put it this way. I'd say that God is the one who deserves my whole heart. So, of course, in Scripture it talks a lot about, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God's the one who deserves my whole heart and my first consideration, and the last word in every part of my life. I want us to think about that this morning. God deserves my whole heart, my first consideration, and every decision in life, and the last word in all of my decisions. And we kind of can go all the way back to uh, the Ten Commandments and see how they begin to get this idea. At the beginning of the Ten Commandments, this is what God says. He says, You shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make for yourself an idol, in the form of, of anything in heaven above, or in the earth beneath, or in the waters below. So what he does here is he talks about the fact, when he says you shall have no other gods, and we know there, there are no other gods, but he's talking about those things that would occupy our heart, that we would we'll become like God to us. And so what he says is this, is that we're to have nothing else that is more important or has our allegiance before the Lord God himself. And therefore, we should not make anything that would represent those other gods. That's what the idol is all about. No, an idol back then would have just been a, an image that would be carved out of wood or carved out of stone and it would represent the thing that was most important to you. It would represent the thing that you worship over God uh, or the thing that you look to for, uh, for purpose or fulfillment or the thing that you would look to for security in your life. In other words, it would be the thing that you center your life around more than in anything else. And, of course, the problem is, and God knew this, and this is, I think, why the Ten Commandments begin this way, because God knows that we are prone to worship idols. Now, why are we so prone to be those who worship idols? And I think it's because we were created with souls that were made to be connected and filled with the Lord God Almighty. And the only thing that really brings true satisfaction in our life is when our, when our heart, when our soul is filled with God, But the problem is, when, when we will not fill our soul with God, there is a void, there is a vacuum, and something will go in and occupy that thing. And, and it's those things that can occupy our life that God is so concerned about. In Romans, it, it tells us this, speaking of humanity in general, it says, For although they, that is humanity, although they knew God, that is, they knew who He was, uh, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile, And their foolish hearts were darkened, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles, and they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And this is what they did. They worshipped and served, created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. And so what it tells us here is that an idol is anything that we might center our life around. And there's, there's kind of a limitless supply of idols in the world today. And just to kind of get you thinking about what some of the potential idols might be for your life, for instance, in Philippians 3.19, Paul says that for some people, their God or their idol is their stomach. Apparently, that was a problem 2,000 years ago, and I think that problem is still around today. For people who, who, they put their stomach or their appetite at the center of their life, and everything revolves around that. But there's all sorts of other things that we can make our God. Um, it can be an addiction to something, something that we center our life around, and we have to have that thing to fill the emptiness in our soul. It can be greed. For some people, their greed is the thing that their entire life Revolves around. Uh, For some people in our society today, it's sex. That's what they put at the center of their life. For some people, it's a relationship. Uh, It can be the person you're dating, it can be the person you're married to, it can be uh, the, the kids in your home. And where kids are a tremendous gift of God, it's possible that kids can become an idol in our life when our entire life centers and revolves around our kids instead of having a family that revolves around God, which is what our kids, of course, need more than anything else. But your idol can become your job. And one of the things I thought about even this morning just thinking about this passage was an idol doesn't necessarily have to be something you like. It's possible to have a job that you don't even like. But your life still revolves around that job. Your job can become your idol. You're seeking out comfort in your life. um, Seeking to be in control of everything. Uh, Entertainment can be an idol. The the weekend can be an idol. Possessions can be an idol. For some people, uh, their house is their idol. Um, They've got to have the right house in the right neighborhood with the right square footage and finishes. And always doing upgrade projects and working for stuff. And so everything in their life literally revolves around that house. It's not that having a home is bad, but it shouldn't become your idol. Um, for some people, it's their image. That becomes their idol, what they wear, you know, um, what they drive, what people think of them, how many Facebook friends they have. So what do we do with these idols in our life and our tendency to have idols that come before us in God? Well, a couple of things I want to suggest this morning. And the first thing is this. If we're going to deal with idols in our life, we have to, we have to be able to identify ...what the idols are. And in Deuteronomy 4.15, it says this. It says, therefore, watch yourselves... ...and this is some good advice. Watch yourselves, notice, very carefully... ...so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourself an idol. So what Scripture says is that we need to be those... ...who examine our lives, <clears throat> who watch our lives very carefully... ...because we, are, we live in a world where we are surrounded with potential idols... Um, relationships that could become an idol, preferences that could become an idol, wealth or hobbies or jobs that could potentially become an idol for us. We live in a culture surrounded with possibilities for idols. So, of course, part of the question becomes, how do I know when something uh, moves from being a blessing to becoming an idol in my life? How do, I, how do I know when I've crossed a line? So some things just to kind of consider. And of course, I could have put 20 or 30 things on this list, but I just put four in your notes, four things to look at. And the first is this. Look at how you spend your time. If you want to determine if you've got any idols in your life, look at your schedule. That's a good place to start. So... We all have stuff we have to do. We'll have chores and responsibilities, and some of you have school you have to go to, and jobs you have to have. But still, as Americans, we have a lot of discretion in in terms of what we do with our time. How do you spend your free time? How do you spend your weekends, right? Um, How do you approach your job? How much time do you spend working? And then when you come home from your job, how much more time do you spend working, Um, Those are some things to consider. Uh, What about schooling? Uh, What about your evenings? What about the stuff that you watch? and the stuff that you listen to? Because that's an investment of your time, and the, the, the teams that you join. And what about your time with God? How much time do you spend in God's Word, in, in fellowship with other believers, um, in spiritual disciplines? How much time do you spend um, away from just serving yourself and serving other people? And I'm, I'm telling you, the calendar doesn't lie. Uh, a good thing to do is to keep Good track of your time, and then look at your calendar and ask yourself. Because I think for many of us, it's easy for us to think, "Well, I don't have any idols in my life," but we don't really base that on anything um, concrete. We're just kind of guessing we don't. So a good suggestion is open up your calendar and ask yourself, "How am I spending my time?" Because how you spend your time will reveal what's most important to you. Here's another thing, and we know this, but how how do we spend our money? So again, as Americans. We have a lot of discretion on how we spend our money. And, and we have a lot of discretion on how much debt we go into, uh, how big our mortgage is, right? And I, so I have people complain to me sometimes. My mortgage is so big. I have to work all the time to pay my mortgage. And of course, you know, nobody shoved that mortgage down your throat. You can always get a different mortgage. You can get a different house. And sometimes when I tell people that, they look at me like, what planet are you from? But see, we have the choice. We get to make so many. The house that we live in and the car payment that we have, those are choices. That we have. And so look at the stuff that you buy. Look at how generous are you. How much are you are investing in the kingdom. Because how we spend our money often reveals what's most important to us. And then here's another one. And that is the things we talk about. Now I say this because if, if you listen to the people around you long enough. You will be able to figure out what's most important to them. Because here's what we all do. We all end up talking about what is most important to us. And so just listen to the things other people talk about, right? And for for us, it may be uh, a sport. It may be a hobby. It may be our job that we have to talk about all the time. It might be a relationship, a, a person. But here's the thing. If God is first in your life, if God is on the throne of your life, you won't be able to help yourself. He will come out in the conversations that you have. I've got one friend in particular um, that I get together with once a week and we have these conversations. And with him, I always know what's first in his heart because it doesn't matter what we're talking about. We could be talking about changing the oil in our car and he will always make it something about God every single time. Because this is a guy whose heart is completely and fully given over to God. This is what happens when God occupies the throne of your heart. It just comes out. You don't have to plan it. You don't have to get up in the morning and go, how am I going to sound really spiritual today in the way that I talk? It's, it's who you are, and it comes out. Here's another one, just one more suggestion. Think about your relationships. Think about who you spend time with and why you spend time with them. Think about how you treat people. Think about your relational goals. Is your goal to bless people Is your goal to drag them down? Is your goal to use them? Is your goal to enrich them? But take a look at your relationships and how you treat people and the impact that you have on them. And the question becomes this. Does God get your whole heart and the first consideration and the last word in the way that you spend your time? Does God get your whole heart and the first consideration and the last word in the way that you spend your money? And and the things that you say to other people? And in your relationships. And Jesus tells us why this is such a big deal. In fact, he illustrates it with money. And he could have used another idol instead. But notice what he says in Matthew 6. He says this. No one can serve two masters. Now, Jesus doesn't say it's hard to serve two masters. Jesus doesn't say it's super difficult. So you're going to have to pray about it a lot. Notice what he says. No one can do it. No one can have two masters on the throne of his heart. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and he will despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, Jesus could have said you cannot serve God and a relationship, or God and your comfort, or God and whatever. He, doesn't, he didn't say that. He could have. You can't serve God and your hobby. But the point he's trying to make is only one thing can be the most important thing in your life. Only one thing can can occupy the throne of your heart, and it needs to be God. So Jesus is just warning us, don't play this game where you're like, well, I can have a couple of things that are really important to me. He says there can only be one most important thing in your life. So the question is, what is that thing? And, and what are the things that you're tempted to put on the throne of your life? What are the things that you're tempted to give your whole heart to, and, and the things that, that have the first consideration and the last word, in the way that you, you spend your life? And I was thinking about it this week in terms of my own life, and like, what are some of the idols that, that I struggle with? And, and here's the thing with idols. A lot of times, there are things that we wouldn't necessarily think could be an idol. But I realized for myself this week, like, one of the, one of the things that I struggle with in terms of idolatry... Is, um, is the fact that I'm, I'm an introvert. And, and when I say that, people think it's kind of funny because they'd be like, how can an introvert, you know, how can you be that and be in front of a crowd? But I'll tell you this, I'm not comfortable in large crowds. But see, right now I don't feel like I'm in a large crowd. I feel like I'm up here, okay? And you're in a large crowd, okay? But I'm kind of up here, and I'm kind of I'm talking, and you're not talking. You might be texting, but you're not talking. And so, but now here's where it's tough for me when I get off the stage and I come down. And what I noticed this week is I thought a lot about it and I was with people. Um, for me, being with one other person is just fun. I love being with people, talking, having coffee, doing life. Two people is not hard. Two people is also okay. I'm comfortable. Three people... I start to get a little bit uncomfortable and four just becomes like a crowd for me. In fact, afterwards, after ch- uh, church last night, I was talking with two guys and we were talking and then their husbands came up and, or their wives came up, I'm sorry, and, and one of the wives said, well, I'll hang back. And so, because I know you'll be uncomfortable if there's four of us. And so, but I have to just kind of thinking about, it. now here's why I mentioned it, because um, there are times when I have to make a choice. I mean, there are just times when I, God says, I need you to be in a crowd. That's my will for you. That's my goal for you. And the question you have to ask yourself right now is, who's calling the shots in your life? Is it your comfort, right? Is it, is it the fact that uh, you're an introvert or is it God? And so I have to make the decision in those times that I'm going to let God call the shots, that God's going to get the first consideration and that God's going to get the last word. And of course, you, you might ask, well, why would God do that to us? Why would God make us in a certain way and then ask us to be in situations that are contrary to that way? But I would simply say this, I think that God does it because God's got bigger plans than I do, right? Because God wants to change the world. God wants to impact our world for Christ and he wants to use us to do it. And so often for us, our view is very small. I just want to be comfortable. I just want two or three people around. But God wants to do bigger things. So in those situations, we have to ask ourselves, who's calling the shots here? Is What's going to be the, the God in my life? Is it going to be the Lord God Almighty? Or am I going to kind of have the, the God of, of comfort in my life when we have to make those decisions? So what do we do? Well, I think we have to pray and ask God, God, are there any idols in my life? Is there anything that I've turned into an idol that's become more important than you? Something in my life that, that gets the first consideration and the last word in my decision-making. And I'd just say this, if you're kind of thinking, I don't, I don't know if I have any idols in my life and I'm not sure, here's something you might do. Find a spiritual person who knows you well and just ask them. Because, you know, most of us, we're really good at identifying the idols of other people, aren't we? Right? But not so good with ourselves. So invite someone who knows you well, if you're just really gutsy, and just say, I'm just giving you permission to tell me what do you think I might be struggling with. But we have to identify our idols before we can deal with them. And then once we begin to identify them, what do we do? Well, I'm going to say we need to dethrone them. We needed to throw in our idols. And I'm actually going to use a couple of different ideas about this. And I I say this because uh, this past week, reading a couple of different um, articles and books on idolatry, and at the beginning of one book that a pastor wrote, he basically said this. Anytime you identify an idol, you just need to destroy it. So what I'm going to suggest this morning is that it's actually a little bit more complicated, life often is, than just destroying every idol that you find. Now, granted, some idols, they just need to be eliminated. When you find them, you just need to get rid of them. In fact, in Colossians, there's a list of a few of those that we don't need to debate or wonder about. Paul says this, Put to death, right, so that's pretty much elimination there. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Earthly nature is just the, uh, the opposite of your spiritual nature. So what he's saying is this. Put to death. Here's some things you don't want to mess around with. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is what? Idolatry. So here's what he says. Here's some things you never have to wonder about, scratch your head about. What do, what do I do about this? He says, just put it to death. Sexual immorality is just a sin. And it's always a sin under every circumstance. So what he says is, don't worry about it. If you're, if, if you're dealing with sexual immorality in your life and thus becoming an idol, you know, he says it's really easy. You just have to get rid of that thing. Um, when he talks about something like um, impurity, that has the idea of lewdness or lewd talk or crude jokes or any of that stuff. He goes, there's never, ever a place for that. So you just get rid of it. You don't, you don't have to sit down and go, well, I, have to, I just have to be careful about where I tell my lewd jokes, all right? No, he says, no, you don't need to tell them at all, ever, in any place, any way, shape, or form. You just get rid of them. Um, he talks about impurity. And that has the idea of, of impurity of motives. And he talks about greed. And then we could add to this list, by the way, based on Scripture. We could say pride is another thing that you should always get rid of because God detests a proud heart. Um, we could say, especially in our society, because we're so permeated with it, I think you could add like, you know, porn to sexual immorality. You'd say like, you, know, you don't have to wonder like, well, what do I do with that? Well, you just get rid of it every single time. Uh, what about gossip? What about lying? What about cheating? What about adultery? Simple. These are things you don't, you don't try to manage them. You just get rid of them. You don't like hang around and be buddies with them. You flee from them. You flee from sexual immorality. You get as far away from it as you possibly can. And so that means, like, if, if you've got a situation and as a pastor, I, you know, kind of deal with these situations from time to time with people. If you've got a problem at home, you know, you've got cable TV. I'm just telling you, by the way, how counseling works with me. If you come to me and you say, I'm really, you know, struggling, Pastor Bob, because I, I'm at home, I got cable TV, and when my family's home, I never have a problem. We just watch America's funniest videos and we're all good, right? But when my family's not there, sometimes I go to channels that I shouldn't go to. Here's what I usually say. Don't pay the cable bill, okay? Just like don't pay it and it will take care of the problem, right? Because you'll no longer, of course, it'll ruin your credit, but, um, but, but don't just don't pay the bill. just And then you won't have to worry about why Why have that coming into your house if it's a problem for you? Why be connected to the internet? It's not... You, For some of you, I know it's hard to understand, but there was actually a day and age where we didn't have the internet. I don't know how we survived. I don't know what we did with that, but we did somehow. We survived. You don't have to have these things. Sometimes you just get rid of them. Why? Because your purity and having God on the throne of your heart is way, way, way more important than sitting at home and struggling with watching things on TV that you shouldn't. It's just ridiculous. Just get rid of it. Now, sometimes we're dealing with idols that are just inherently evil and they need to go. Sometimes, though, we're dealing with idols that are not inherently sinful, but they may still need to go, such is the case in Mark chapter 10. Uh, we read this story. It says, uh, one day as Jesus started on his way, he's on a, on a teaching and, and a miracle tour, you know, and as he was traveling around, it says this man uh, ran up to him and he fell on his knees before him and he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. So a couple things we know about this guy, right? Apparently he really wants to have a right relationship with Jesus because he seeks him out. And when he finds him, he falls on his knees and that's an act of worship. And he addresses Jesus. He says, what do I need to do to be right with God? So it seems like he's a guy whose heart is really in the right place. And then Jesus says this, why do you call me good? right? No one is good except God alone. Now, it sounds a little bit like Jesus is being a little snarky here, right? Like, you know, the guy calls him good, and then Jesus is like, what do you call me good for? And it, it, his point is this. What he's trying to say is, um, you're right, I am good, all right? But here's what you have to understand. Only God is good. Connecting the dots here, right? So the question he's asking is, do you believe that I'm God in the flesh, or don't you? He says, no one is good except God alone. So here's what you know. You know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Don't defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And, and teacher, this man says to Jesus, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Now, I don't know, but at that point, you know, I'm really surprised Jesus doesn't look and go, really? You know, like, really? You've kept all it? I just love the fact that Jesus doesn't say the obvious, you know. Uh, but he's just, instead, what, notice what it says. Jesus looked at him and he loved him. So Jesus looks at this guy, full-grown man, but I think he sees him as his young son. Doesn't he a son that you love, a son that your heart goes out to, and and he just said Jesus looks at him and he loves him, he just loves him so much that that he needs to really deal with something. So he says, one thing you lack, go and sell everything that you have, and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Now, if you read commentaries and, and 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 hear sermons on this, the thing that you'll hear people say is this is not a prescription from Jesus to say that every believer has to sell everything they have. And that would be true. That's not what this is about. Jesus isn't saying, if you're going to follow me, every one of you have to sell everything that you have. This is a very specific thing about this guy in particular. And we'll find out why. And then he says, and then come and follow me. And at this, the man's face fell. And he went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, you have to understand, having money isn't a sin. It's the love of money that is a sin. Having money is an idolatry. But putting money before God is idolatry. That is wrong. And that was this guy. Here's the one thing we can tell about this guy. He trusted money more than he trusted Jesus. That part becomes obvious. Because when Jesus says, you have to decide what you're going to trust. What are you going to trust your future with? What are you going to trust your retirement with? Time to, time to decide the, the, the answer to that. Trust me or trust your money, right? That's really what Jesus is doing. And the guy makes it clear what he trusts more. He trusts money more. Jesus didn't say to this guy, <clears throat> look, keep your money and just try really hard to love me more, right? Because Jesus knew that would be a losing proposition and strategy for this particular guy. Because money was on the throne of this guy's life. And Jesus knew that life is too short to live in the proximity of something like that. Why would we choose to get up every single day and battle that every day? Why would we decide? I mean, life's too short to battle greed every day, to battle cable TV every day, to battle the internet every day, to go to a job that tempts us in every... Why would we live life like that when we don't have to? And that's what Jesus is saying to this guy. He's saying you don't have to live in this situation. It, it kind of reminds me when I was in high school, I had a friend who was a few years older than me, and he's really into cars, and he'd saved up his money, and he bought a 1965 Mustang, and it was all, you know, all just totally tricked out. Nice, nice car. The problem was it was his idol. It was literally the center of his life, even though he was a Christian. And he went into debt to buy this car, so he had to have a job, to pay for the car. Um, when he had the car, all I could do was talk about the car. It's the only thing he talked about. The only thing that's really important to him, he's very proud of the car. And when he drove the car, he always lost the sanctification every single time. Because you can't just drive that car around town and, you know, let somebody in a gremlin pass you up. You just can't do it. And so, here's what the guy did. He, one time he was at church and there was a sermon, it was on idolatry, and he decided, after the sermon, he said, you know, my Mustang is my idol. I've literally put it before God and I need to deal with it. And so here's what he did. He went out and he sold his Mustang. Because he just, the idea was he said, life is too short to get up every morning and get in my Mustang and battle with idolatry. It's just too short. I'm not going to do it. And then this is what he did. And for some of you, you're too young to understand why this is such a profound thing. But some of you will get it. And just to make sure that he never dealt with that again, he sold his Mustang and he bought a Pinto. Right? So that's just like, that's what he did. But I tell you, hey, the guy understood what he was doing. John get rid of the issue. See, when Jesus is is not on the throne of your life, when anything else is on the throne of your life, you miss so much. You will miss the fulfillment that could be yours. You will miss the peace that could be yours, and you'll wonder, why? Why am I so anxious? Well, it's because God isn't on the throne of your life, and you're looking to something else to bring you peace, and it's never going to work. You'll miss out on the joy of God, the power of God, and you'll just end up being disappointed and those idols that you thought were going to bring you more than they possibly ever could. And over the years, I've seen people who have, who have given up cars, who have, who have stopped dating because they couldn't keep it in its right place. People who got off social media, sold their televisions, canceled their cable, downgraded their home, downgraded their car, downgraded their, their uh, clothing, their budget. People who got a different job. People who settled for it. Here's a great one. Who settled for a lower GPA because that had become their idol. Kids are taking notes. I'll use that one next time. <laughs> Quit a sport, gave up a hobby, sold a vacation home. We could go on and on. But people have just decided, right? I'm going to put Jesus back on the throne of my life and I'm just going to get rid of this thing. There's still, some idols we can just get rid of. Here's where it gets a little complicated. Okay, Some idols we don't need to get rid of. We just need to put them back in their place. right? Because the Bible doesn't teach, for instance... If your kids become your idol, just get rid of them, okay? The Bible doesn't say that. If your marriage becomes your idol, just get rid of your wife, all right? That's not, if your hair becomes your idol, just cut it off, right? I mean, it doesn't say that. Okay, anyways, but that's not what it says. Instead, sometimes you just need to identify the idol and put it back in its place and put Jesus in his place. So I want to read for you a passage of Scripture Now, usually when we read Ephesians 5, we're reading it for a whole different reason. But I thought about it this week in relation to idols and the idea that really when it comes to idols, what are we talking about? We're talking about putting Jesus back at the center. Sometimes we need to get rid of the idol and sometimes we just need to put it in its place and put Jesus back in his place. And it struck me that really this is the essence of what's happening in Ephesians chapter 5. So let me just read it for you, and you can see the theme in terms of idols here. So Paul's speaking to the church, and he says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So first of all, what Paul is saying is this, when it comes to your relationships, no, no relationship with anybody should ever become an idol to you. So here's what you want to do, always put Jesus at the center of every relationship that you have. Now Paul's not specifically talking about idols here, but the application definitely, you know, applies to what we're talking about today. And then he goes on and he says this wives, submit to your husbands as and notice this, as to the what? As to the Lord. What's he saying? Wives, Jesus Christ should be at the center of your marriage, right? Not your husband, but Jesus Christ. If you want to have a good marriage, then Jesus needs to be on the throne. Husbands, same thing. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What's he saying? Husbands, if you want to have a great marriage, Jesus needs to be on the throne of your marriage. He goes on. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. (laughs) I know the type on this is bigger than any other slide. That was just because it's a smaller verse. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Again, what's the idea? Children, you need to put Jesus at the center of your relationship with your parents. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Again, what's he saying? Fathers, put Jesus at the center of your relationship with your kids. Can you see? You're starting to get the theme here. Like, hey, just he's just going to talk about all these things. But the answer is the same. In every aspect of your life, Jesus needs to be... At the center, he goes on a little bit farther. He says, uh, "Slaves, right? So we don't really have slaves today, but you, maybe you have a job and <laughs> you feel like a slave, and so you know you could say that those of you who are employees, all right, obey your earthly masters, your, you know, um, obey your bosses, obey your manager, obey the business owner with respect and fear, and with sincerity of heart. Notice, just as you would obey Christ, what's he saying? Jesus needs to be at the center of your employment." He goes on, he says this. He says, uh, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. And, and masters or, or bosses or managers or business owners, same thing. He says, treat your slaves, uh, your employees, treat them, notice, in the same way. What's the same way? That you put Jesus at the center. See, some idols just need to be dethroned. Maybe it's your job. Maybe you don't need a new job. Maybe you just need to put Jesus back on the throne of your job. Maybe he needs to be the one who's calling the shots in your life. Maybe you need to put Jesus back on the throne of your marriage, on the throne of the relationship with your kids. Uh, Maybe you need to put him back on the throne of your money, of your wealth, of your time, of whatever it is. Sometimes we take blessings and we turn them into idols. And it may be that we don't need to just get rid of that thing as much as it needs to be back in its place. So that once again, Jesus can be on the throne. And we can enjoy that thing and, and be blessed by that thing and bless those people in our life as well. And, and so again, there's so many examples, but for, for me... This week, again, thinking about, like, how does this relate to my life and and, and wrestling a little bit with idols in my life. And I would say one of the things that I struggle with, and and maybe this is something you can relate to, um, but one of the things that I have to keep off the throne of my life, and it takes a lot of work, is um, is, is sermon writing. Um, It's uh, something for me that just becomes, um, when I start writing a sermon, and usually I start on... Uh, Saturday. So I started yesterday writing the sermon, not for today, but for next weekend. So I started uh, yesterday for next weekend. And what happens is I kind of gear up on Saturday in the afternoon. And then on Sunday afternoon, I'll really kind of dive in deep. And Monday, it's all day. And then here, but here's what happens with me. When I'm preparing a sermon, it can completely take over my life. Just 100% zeroed in all the time. A sermon can take over all of my prayers. Like, every time I pray, all I'm praying about is a sermon. And it can take over my devotions. When I get up in the morning and I'm reading the Bible, it's no longer about God and me. It's always about the sermon. Like, hey, this is a good passage. You know, I could use this. i got to figure out. Everything becomes about the sermon. My relationships begin to revolve around the sermon. Uh, Other duties begin to revolve around the sermon. So, It's not that preparing a sermon is evil. It's just that it doesn't deserve to be on the throne of my life just like pretty much everything in all of our lives except for God himself. And, and every now and then I find that sermons cross the line and they become almost more important to me than anything else. And I know, for instance, that's happening when I'm working on a sermon and something's happening around me that I know I should stop working on the sermon and give myself to that thing. But I just think to myself, I can't do it right now. And it happens at work, it happens at home, it happens at Starbucks, it can have a lot of places, but I just get so focused on that. And it's in the question that always comes up for me is, can I stop this and let God be on the throne of my life? And just as a practical example, I think it was Tuesday, and uh, so I was, I was at home in the afternoon. I was sitting on my deck. The sun was shining. I'm a sucker for the sun. And I was working. I was particularly caught at this point in the sermon, and I was working on it and working on it and working on it, and focus, focus, focus. And pretty soon I could, I could hear that next door my neighbors were outside, and they're having fun, and... and, and uh, you know, I just, as I was working on a sermon, I thought, it's like God was saying, you should stop, you should close your Bible. And it sounds right. Close your Bible, and you should go over and talk to your neighbors, because you love them, and I love them, and you don't talk to them enough. You should just go talk to them. And I was like, yeah, but I got to get this point done. I got to, you know, I'm working on idols, God. I got to figure this out. And, you know, it took a minute for me to realize, oh, yeah, who's on the throne of my life? And who has the first consideration? And who has the last word? And in those moments, I have to make the decision. What am I? Who's calling the shots in my life? Now, I don't know what it is for you. Again, it could be, maybe it is sermon writing for you. I don't know, but it might be your job. It might be uh, your money. I don't know what it is, but, but the question is, are there any idols in your life that you need to deal with? Are there any idols that you need to just get rid of? Are there any idols that you need to, to, to demote in your life to reorder your priorities so that God gets your whole heart and that God gets the first consideration in every aspect of your life and that God gets the last word? And then I want to mention this. Because a lot of times when, we're, when we get into God's word, we talk about all this stuff we shouldn't do. Don't do this, don't do this, get rid of that. And the question becomes, well, what are we supposed to do? See, because if, if you've got idols in your life and you just, like you, let's just say you walk out of here today and you're like, man, I'm getting rid of that idol and I'm, you know, decapitating that idol and I'm going to put that idol in its place. And, but the question becomes, what do you do with the void then in your heart where the idol used to be? And the answer is this, you've got to fill your soul with God. Right? see, Because when we don't fill our soul with God, that's where the problem begins. That's always where it starts. When my soul's not filled with God, see, if my soul is filled with God, if my soul is occupied with God, then idols will never, ever, ever be an issue for me, right? Because if your heart is completely full of God, there's no room for an idol. No issue. So we kind of come back to the center of this. But let me just read a couple of passages for you. In Psalm 84, the psalmist says this, And listen to the terminology here. It says, my soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. We said at the beginning of this series that the the phrase courts of the Lord is just referring to the presence of God. He says, I yearn for the presence of God. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. In Psalm 107, the psalmist says this, for God satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. And in Psalm 42, it says, it says, The deer pants for streams of water. So my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with my God? Now, honestly, that's not the way most of us think about God, right? And that's where idolatry usually begins, right? It's why we're looking for fulfillment and security and purpose in other things. Because our heart is not full of God. We're not desperate for God. We're desperate for the weekend. Or we're desperate for dessert. You know, or we're desperate for a vacation or that new toy or what, whatever it is. And there are a lot of enjoyable things that God gives us in life. And God wants, to, uh, he wants us to enjoy the blessings that he gives us, right? The people, the family, the kids, the food, the, the, the toys. There's so many things that God says, here, I want you to enjoy them. But as great as they are, they will never fill your soul. They will never satisfy what only God can satisfy, So fill your soul with God. It will bring purpose to your life and it will make all those things that God gives you as they fall in their right place. Those things will then become a blessing to you and not a curse and not an idol. So fill your soul with God. Fill your prayer with God. Fill yourself with the word of God. Fill your life with fellowship with other believers. Fill your life with worship and, and instruction and serving. Fill your soul with God.